Welcome to You Need a Coach Bitch with Chris Hale. I'm your host, Chris Hale. I'm a certified life coach that helps queer creatives take their passion, turn it into a purpose, and get paid. If you're looking to make an impact on the world with your work by dismantling internalized oppressive thought systems, by using coaching, spirituality, and a lot of cursing, you are in the right place. So let's get to work. Hey, bitches, what's up? How are we doing this week? I'm doing amazing. There was such an awesome response to the first episode, and I just want to thank everyone that downloaded and shared and left reviews. It means the absolute world to me that you are taking your time to support me. So thank you. Today, I want to talk about something I touched on last week, um, and I want to expand on it a little bit. So this was kind of the plan and kind of not. Because at the beginning of April, I had the pleasure of speaking at my coaching school's annual mastermind. Um, and I got to speak alongside some of like the most major coaches in the industry. We're talking like seven figure earning coaches. Um, and they're all alumni of this program. And there was like 1500 other coaches there. It was amazing and nerve wracking. And maybe I'll share more about that another time. Um, but I'm bringing that up because the first few episodes were sort of picked out of the talk that I gave there, and and I want to expand on them. And uh, that was the plan. But I also may veer away from that the original like theme of that. Who knows? I don't know. We're going to see what happens. <laughs> um, so today, what we're talking about is um, the impact of representation. And specifically as it pertains to literally all the feels I had from watching Heartstopper on Netflix. If you have not seen it, I'm not really sure what you're doing with your life, but um, just kidding. But run, do not walk to watch it. I watched it twice, the second time in one sitting. And the first thing I want to say about it is that it wrecked me. It was actually the impetus for me going back to therapy there are there were a lot of other things too. Like um, I went off my meds this year. Um, I just left a job. And so I have a lot of time to myself and um, lots lots of time to think. And so that was another one of the reasons why I wanted to go back to therapy to just to have a little extra support. but but I will say like the the depression that hit after Heartstopper was the thing that kind of pushed me over the edge. And even though I was totally gutted, I want to say that this show is the perfect example of why we need more positive queer representation in the media. It's exactly the reason why you need to put your work and yourself out into the world. You have no idea how just having that willingness to be visible might positively affect someone. I want to be an example of what is possible in the world for others like me or anyone who resonates with my message. And it's the reason why I don't just talk about how I've helped others, but I also share the work I've done on myself with the support of like my therapists and coaches and my own self-coaching, because I know by putting that out there and being like being visible around that, that's one of the, that's probably one of the, the actually most important ways that I help other people. But before we move on 
to that specifically, I want to touch on something from last week, and that was the idea of getting seats at tables where our voices are not found. That was actually going to be the central part of this episode, but um, I felt like that the Heartstopper thing had such a huge impact on me. It was so fresh. I wanted to share that and how I worked through it, but um, I do want to mention and, and have like a little caveat, a little disclaimer about that. Lack of representation in those situations where we have not been given opportunities can make us feel like we don't belong. And it can also be a matter of safety. So I do want to look around and see if there are people like me. And if there are, how are those people being treated? Because that is going to help me determine whether or not I believe at some place I actually want a seat at or a table I want to have a seat at, or if it would just be better to go create my own table. But I think what Heartstopper has proven is that lack of representation can also be the spark that makes someone say, I need to be the representation I have been looking for, right? That I can be the example for others, right? There wasn't anything like this out there in the world. And so now we have it because someone knew that their voice was necessary. And this actually happened when I gave my talk in April. A woman had that exact response. It inspired her to fill the void that she was seeing with her own voice. Another example of this is Kit Connor, who plays Nick in Heartstopper. In interviews, he's talking about the lack of bi-male representation. And that feels really important. Now, we don't know his sexuality, but it is amazing that he sees the magnitude of his performance. Um, he's not taking this responsibility lightly. Like he knows that he, like him, like portraying this role and being visible in this way, right, is going to have an impact on other people. It's going to make life a little bit easier for some people. So that being said, I may do another episode on access and opportunity, but today I really want to focus on the importance of us as Q plus folks processing and working through our shit so that we can show up in ways that change the landscape and the people we see in it. So I want to share how I worked through all the like mind fuckery that was going on with me um, and what Heartstopper brought up. So let me back it up for a second. If you don't know what Heartstopper is, and again, you should, it's a Netflix series based on the graphic novels by Alice Oseman. And it centers on the love story um, of Charlie. He's like the, the nerdy out kid. And Nick, the popular rugby lad who falls for him. So it's it's really sweet. And I don't want to give too much away um, because I don't want to ruin it. Um, but that's literally the way they like advertise it. Like boy meets boy, boys become friends, boys fall in love. But when I say that like seeing this pure, innocent story of first love evolve over eight episodes was absolute magic. And it also sent me into deep grief for my 15-year-old self that never had the opportunity for that. And most importantly, never saw that depicted as a possibility. I'm not even sure that words can give credit to the impact it had in both like positive and negative ways. And it's not just me. I've heard from other queer people, mostly gay men uh, around my age that had similar reactions And don't get me wrong, I do love a lot of the queer media that came out in my later teens, um, even with all of its problems, like, for instance, lack of people of color. 
But I can't help but wonder. Oh my God, that's totally like a sex in the city moment. (laughs) I couldn't help but wonder. I can't help but wonder (laughs) how my life would um, have been different if I had had a heart stopper growing up. Right. Instead, there I was. I was like 18 or 19 romanticizing the idea of being treated like shit by Brian Kinney on Queer as Folk. Right. The dysfunction of Brian and Justin were my relationship goals. But I think that I was just so starved for any queer stories. Um, And I resonated with one that seemed most accessible to me, like that kind of like negative negativity that kind of dysfunction in a relationship like seemed really possible to me so in unpacking all of this with my therapist i see that one of the things that caused so much pain was that even if i had had the opportunity for what we see transpire between nick and charlie i wouldn't have been able to receive it it wouldn't have really been available for me because I wouldn't have been available to it. I was too fucked up. There was maybe like one year in the eighth grade when I had a crush on a guy who I think actually ended up being gay um, before my first depression hit, before the anxiety and the anorexia. And like maybe, just maybe, if he'd liked me back, I could have experienced a first love like that. But it was the early 90s and, you know... Ricky from My So-Called Life, who all my friends said I looked like, P.S., was being thrown out of his house for being gay, right? I was still trying to pretend I liked girls, like, even though I had already told myself the truth. So I don't know that it really would have been something that would have worked for me. And, like, even though my rational, practical mind can see that, and can also know that this show is complete fantasy, right? It still had this grip on me. Um, and that was because of what I was making it mean about me when I watched it. I was making it mean that, that I was broken in some way. And maybe I still am broken, right? Some of the thoughts that were kind of plaguing me and really like painful were like, I've never felt this kind of love. I've lost myself in so many people, Um Things like I've said already, that's never been available to me. That could never have been available to me. Um, And another one that came up was I was having such such a huge emotional reaction that my brain kept wanting to tell me that it was significant. Like, this is a big deal, right? I need to pay attention to this. And when I got to the bottom of that, it's just because of the intensity of the emotion, And this is super important because we all, all of us have a tendency to believe that strong emotion means something is important. And that's not always the case. We don't want to judge the importance of something by the the size of our emotional reaction. And now I do think that this is an important moment, right? It's one of the reasons why I did go back to therapy to kind of like process and talk through it. But just as we talked about last week, like I get to scrutinize this and get to exactly what I want to take away from it. And at the time of this podcast recording, I still have not decided completely what I want that to be, um, except for that it really helps me illustrate the importance of our voices being in the world and gives me an opportunity to help you via my process. So I also got the chance to talk about this with a friend, and his reaction was really interesting he got sad and then he got mad. 
for him, it was that like, it wasn't real. He just kept saying, it couldn't be real. This isn't real. And that was like infuriating for him. This fantasy world that Alice created with like only the hint of conflict around being gay, where the adults like were also as supportive, right? Um, just wasn't something that he could wrap his brain around. And, and it was bringing up anger for him. But then what was under the anger was jealousy. Um, and I think that this is, is really common when we're looking at other people in the world, right? When we're marginalized people and we look at other people and they maybe um, are experiencing something that we didn't get to experience or haven't been able to experience, jealousy can be there because it can feel really unfair. And I just think it's so interesting. Like that's one of the things we have to process. I love his re- I love his reaction though because part of what he what was causing him pain was like this isn't real and the thing is this could be real now like we have students that seem totally at ease with their sexualities and their gender expressions and identities um they don't get bullied right they've probably they've already had their first boyfriends and girlfriends and non-binary friends right so much has changed in the past 10 years and I think this series illuminates that for a lot of us, right? There's still so much work to be done. I mean, there's still a lot of work to be done. And like with more exposure also comes more danger. But like in the liberal bubble I live in in Northern New Jersey, like this is a possibility for some people to get to experience um, this kind of pure first love. But I will say that for me, like, there was also a little bit of jealousy in my pain, right? It feels very unfair. That is one of the the thoughts that caused a lot of pain for me. It isn't fair that I never got that. Um, but, you know, that's just not a useful thought. And I'm so happy for this the, the kids nowadays, this, especially the students of mine, kids I care about, who actually have the opportunity to experience some of these things because like, you know, there is a, there's a very short period of time where you actually are able to experience that, that kind of like pure, innocent, simple kind of love because adult love is difficult. It's, it's, it just is, right? There's a lot to negotiate. Most of us were not given classes on how to be in relationships, on how to talk about relationships, on how to talk about sex and intimacy. So right? There is like this very small window of time where there's actually like even the ability to have this kind of pure thing. And so I'm so happy, right? That, that, um, people get to have that today. But again, right. For me, it did bring up this, this difficulty. And so the only thing that there was for me to do in this situation was to process my emotion. Life isn't fair. So focusing on that doesn't actually help me to process my emotions. Like I needed to be with the sadness and grief. I need to identify what the anger is about and what is under it. Anger is often a smokescreen emotion. It can be easier to feel than grief. It allows us to have an emotional response, but be in resistance to what is actually at the core of the pain Right. So for my friend, the 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 anger and the, the anger was masking jealousy. So to process pain, we need to acknowledge it. 
And we need not to be in resistance to it. And we can be with that vibration. We can witness it. We can experience it. We can allow it to work its way through us. This is the number one thing I work on with my clients. I see a lot of coaches, especially coaches in training, wanting to rush people to a better feeling thought. And I'm completely the opposite. Like I want to stay with the discomfort. Building a tolerance for being in discomfort is the most important thing we can do when we are in pursuit of our goals. And I'm not talking about like the drill sergeant like no pain, no gain kind of approach or like the way I was raised as a dancer, right? It's like my students still ask like, where is this supposed to hurt? And I'm like, well, I don't know that it's supposed to hurt, but we have this, you know, this really weird relationship with, with, with um, that kind of pain. But like, I mean to like have a gentler, more compassionate perspective with ourselves around our pain. And that can just look like, again, asking myself where it's coming from. What's it about? See the thoughts, question the thoughts. Is it true that this wasn't accessible to me? Maybe, maybe it is true. And maybe that's where I'm just going to sit with, is with where I got to is like, yeah, I don't think that that this that kind of a representation what we saw represented there was available to me or would have been at 15. I can look back and see like instances where like even maybe there were people trying to like me and I just I couldn't I couldn't handle it. Right? So that's sad. And I can be sad about that, but I also don't have to make it mean anything about what's possible for me now. I don't have to mean I don't have to make it mean that I'm broken. And I can really be with myself in grief and also acceptance and hold myself in compassion. That's the pain part. But I also want to praise the show for all of its amazingness and all the good feels I did feel. One of the best sources of joy for me was the representation of a Black trans girl and how her friends were like completely accepting Her transness was a non-issue. And except for like the mention of one teacher being a transphobe, we really saw no other instances of hate directed at Elle. This feels super significant because of the amount of anti-trans rhetoric in the British media right now. And this show is shot in England. So for this to be displayed, I feel like is one of those really amazing opportunities for people to see themselves positively reflected in the media, especially in a place where there's a lot of like, um, like strife and contention around that. Charlie, the main character, right? He has this like tendency for like people pleasing and to like think of himself as a burden, which I know is, is a really big one for queer people, especially I'm going to do a whole episode about people pleasing and codependency and all of those that like those kinds of topics. But Right. Like we got to like he has a little bit of that, but like we also see him realize that he deserved better than someone who was just using him. And that feels really significant. We saw Isaac. Um, He's a new character. He's not in the books. Um, And his identity is kind of up for grabs. We don't really know much about him yet. Um, He could be asexual for all we know. Like, I don't know. But in one of the scenes where they're all at a rugby match, Isaac is seen reading the biography of Gareth Thomas. And he's a former rugby player that was one of the first professional athletes to come out while he was still playing. Um, so like that little Easter egg is super cool, right? Like we just see like, there's this like such an openness with all of the characters and their portrayals. And we really get to to be curious 
um, and and have open dialogues. Like when I was talking to my friend about the show, like that was one of the things we really like touched on was that like there is this ability for us to have this like curious dialogue about the show and the characters and the representation and what's made an issue and what's made a non-issue and why, right? And that's really good art, people. Like that is what really good art does. It makes us think. So this is where it can help to think about holding the duality of emotion um, because I can I can have this grief around the show um, and the things that brought up, but I can also continue to unpack that or just like let it be there. And I can also feel the inspiration to go and create. And so one of the ways I do that is um, by deciding, again, how I want to tell the story about my past Right, So when the, that pain comes up, when I'm reminded of that, well, what do I want to make that mean? Right, We notice when I think it's unfair that I didn't get to have like this like schoolgirl crush and have that fantasy, that like it makes me angry and resentful and jealous. And none of those feelings drive me to do the work I'm talking about here. I indulge in those emotions and I retell the stories of pain from ages 9 and 14 and 22 and 36. Like, I'm just drudging up stories and using them to inflict pain, and that is not processing. When I can drop into compassion, and I think, and I like, I can feel bad for little Chris and for all the little queers who felt so lonely, I feel the deep sadness. And then I hold space for my sadness. I process my sadness. I may cry. I may take a few days to like care for myself, but then it passes and I can galvanize that into action. I talk to, I talk about it with my friends. I make content like this, right? It's not all resolved, but it doesn't need to be. This is the thing. I think a lot of you feel like you need to be completely healed to make an impact on the world. And that's just not true. You can be going through your shit, but like still be an example for what is possible for others. Like I said, we never know how showing up in the world will affect others. When I can hold that duality, I can make space for grief and inspiration. I get the opportunity to impact others. Also, for me, these wounds may never heal. It's possible I may just get better at showing up for myself when they get opened up again. And that's part of being human, right? That's one of the reasons why I'm so grateful for what Heartstopper unlocked in me. Because it's given me this opportunity to know myself better. If I don't make it a problem that this came up, it's an invitation to get closer to myself. So if you've watched Heartstopper, please hit me up because I would love to hear your thoughts and hear about what kind of impact this kind of representation has had on you. You can totally slide into my DMs on Insta. Handle is the only Chris Hale, or you can email me at chris at the only And let's keep this conversation going. I hope you all have an amazing week. If you are loving what you're hearing here on You Need a Coach Bitch, please subscribe, like, and share with your friends. And if you want more information on how you can work with me one on one, go to theonlychrishale.com or you can find me on Instagram at theonlychrishale.com.